We're turning yet again tonight to Romans chapter 7. Romans 7. We're going to read the last four verses of chapter 7 and read into chapter 8. Romans chapter 7, verse 22. Let's hear the Lord's word. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by the Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. And God will add his own blessing to that reading from his word for his name's sake. So we bow our heads in prayer. Let's all seek the Lord together. Our God and Father, we turn to the throne of grace because we need grace and mercy. We can't do without thee. We don't want to try to labor in the word of God and in the hearing of the word preached without the aid of the Holy Ghost. We pray that we'll be borne along tonight in the message and that thy people will, through the Spirit's work, be given ears to hear. Our minds will be in tune with the mind of the Spirit, will be teachable, hearts that are very pliable, Remove any stubbornness, any hardness, any callousness, we pray. O Lord, for tender hearts this evening, for teachable hearts, that we might have lives that indeed are triumphant. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And amen. Sin. Sin is not a pleasant thing to a child of God. Although it can and will give a fleeting pleasure to his sinful flesh, every believer knows that sin is his worst enemy. It was John Bunyan 
that profane sailor who was brought from the depths of wickedness into the height of God's amazing grace, who said, Sin is the dare of God's justice, the rape of His mercy, the jeer of His patience, the slight of His power, and the contempt of His love. What an apt description to show how contrary sin is to God, so against the holy nature of God, so opposed to the glory of God, so contrary to the very being and existence of God. For sin, you can be sure, if it had its way, would eliminate God altogether. But this is not the desire of God's people, because God has saved them from sin and saved them from its guilt, its condemnation, its punishment. They now genuinely hate anything that's against God. The believer also sees that sin is not only contrary to God, but it is contrary to his own, his own well-being. It's against his peace of mind. It wars against his own happiness, inner joy. It fights against a clear conscience, against his enjoyment of God, against even his usefulness to God. Indeed, he knows that sin is against everything that is for his good whether physical, mental, or spiritual. But our studies in Romans 7 has shown us that despite how well aware the child of God may be of how ugly, uh, despicable, and dreadful, and damaging sin actually is, the child of God still does it. He still sins. The child of God would say a hearty amen to all that's been said about how awful sin is. Would say a hearty amen to that, that graphic description that Bunyan gave of the evil of sin. But he still sins. And for all of the suffering that Christ had to endure, both in his life and in his death, in order that the believer's sin might be forgiven and forever forgotten, he still does the things he knows that are wrong. And he doesn't do the things he knows that are right. That is not to say that he lives in habitual sin, that his life is characterized by rebellion against God, that he has nothing of a holy character. That's not what we're saying at all. That simply cannot be. How shall we that are dead to sin, Paul asks the question, live any longer therein? If we're dead to it, we can't live in it. Paul states things about himself in chapter 7 that could never be said of anyone who's lost, even though he's battling with this sin. In verse 18, he says, to will, that is to will to do good, that desire is present with me. You can't, you, you would never say that of someone who is lost, unregenerate. In verse 22, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. That's a Christian talking. And verse 25, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. The carnal mind, we read, the carnal mind is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. It can't be, but Paul says, I serve the law of God with my mind. Those are words of a Christian. The fact of the matter is that Paul... This cry of, O oh, wretched man that I am, indicates that there was divine life in his soul. That only comes from someone who has been born again by the Spirit of God. 
he had a real hatred for sin. And he had a real thirst for holiness. But while the child of God no longer lives a life of rebellion against God, no longer does sin dominate and characterize his life, he still transgresses the law of God, whether by sins of omission or sins of commission. And and, and this right here, as you see in Romans 7, is the Christian's great dilemma. What we've been seeking to learn from this passage is just how we are to deal with this dilemma as Christians. How we are to respond in this this lifelong battle with our sinful flesh, with the sin that is present with us, the sin that dwells in us. How are we to deal with sin in this battle? We saw from that verse 25 in Romans 7 that God's divinely appointed deliverer from the power of sin in our lives is the Lord Jesus Christ. Through all of the fighting going on in his own soul between these two enemies, Paul had come to understand that his only source of hope His only source of victory lay with Christ. Christ is the only one who can kill your sin. You don't have the power to do it. You, you yourself, don't have the power to do it. He's plainly made that statement several times. I want to. I have the desire. But how to do that which is good, I don't find within me. But there is one. His name is Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's the promise of the gospel. But I pointed out that we, we apprehend, we lay hold of Christ and the power and the victory that belongs to us His promises, we lay hold of Christ by faith. That's the hand that must reach out by faith. So John would write that faith is the victory that overcometh the world. So we we, we saw that the way to overcome the sinful flesh is by faith to rely on the work of Christ, by faith to wait on Christ in prayer, by faith to feed on the word of Christ, and by faith to work for Christ. But there's one final thought that I want us to think about for a little bit this evening when it comes to experiencing Christ's power in our lives over our sin. This is our response to this lifelong battle we have with the flesh. By faith, walk in the Spirit of Christ. By faith, walk in the Spirit of Christ. Realizing that there were no challenges when Paul wrote this epistle to the church at Rome, you find that immediately after declaring that victory over sin comes through Christ, and there's this ongoing battle between the law of his mind and the, and the law of sin, Paul announces with the greatest of assurance, verse 1, chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after or according to the flesh, but after or according to the Spirit. That's descriptive of those who experience the victory over sin. That's descriptive of their life, who walk after the Spirit. Notice in verse 2 again, he mentions this law. 
Remember the law of his mind? That's the holy principle within in chapter 7. He's not dropped that subject. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Note please, it's the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Look down please in Romans 8 at verses 8 and 9. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Note how he is called the Spirit of Christ. He's the Spirit of life. Yes, he's the Spirit of truth. And Paul, the, the Holy Ghost who inspired, who gave these words, calls himself, I am the Spirit of Christ. In the context of this victory over sin. He's called the Spirit of Christ because Christ dwells in us by his Spirit. He dwells in us by His Spirit. Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ dwells in us by His Spirit. We are the temples of the Spirit of God. We are the temples of the Spirit of Christ. Christ lives in us by the Holy Ghost. You want me to explain beyond that? You're asking the impossible. You're asking me to explain the Trinity. I just know it's stated in Scripture. There's one God and three persons. Christ is in heaven in His bodily form at the right hand of God. But by His Spirit, He dwells in every one of His people. Jesus in you. Now take that truth and compare it to what Paul goes on to say in verse 12. If ye, through the Spirit, through the Spirit of Christ, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So it is the Spirit of Christ that deals with this sin in our flesh. It's this, remember I said, you can't kill it. You do not have the power in yourself to kill it. But there is one who does, and he is the Spirit of Christ. Ye, through the Spirit of Christ, mortifies, kills, puts to death, vanquishes the sin in our bodies. It's in light of that truth that Paul puts it like this. A verse I am sure you're very familiar with. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you don't walk in the Spirit, you are going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. So it becomes critical, does it not, that we understand what it is to walk in the Spirit. I'm saying, by faith, we walk in the Spirit of Christ. And that's why Paul said, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord that I get delivered. I get victory over sin. It's plain for all to see that Christ strengthens this new man and enables him to overcome sin as he walks in the Spirit. This is a very integral part of the walk of faith. The walk of faith. A walk of faith is intimately linked with walking in the Spirit. Indeed, I would submit to you that you can't have without the other. You can't have a walk of faith without walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is walking by faith. But what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? I mean, it's pretty simple there. This is the plain command. Walk in the Spirit. How does that strengthen this 
new man and enable the believer to resist the temptation to sin and actually gives him the victory instead of falling prey to the temptation. How's that work practically? I mean, because we can throw out the adages all day long, you know, walk in the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, and go nowhere as far as conquering sin. First off, it means obviously that we must realize that the power to overcome sin is within us. Realize, believe with all of your heart that the power to overcome sin is within us. The Holy Spirit, and here's why it's so, by myself, I've been qualifying that, in myself, I don't have this power. But within me, there is a power. Within me, within you, if you're a child of God, there is a power. The Holy Spirit indwells every Christian permanently. The gifts and the calling are without repentance. God doesn't give you the Holy Ghost and then take him away. Permanently. It is therefore a denial of God's word to complain and to moan that you don't have the strength to overcome the temptation. It is a denial of gospel truth. Oh, I get it. I can't in myself. I can't in my flesh. I'm going to fail and fall. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about by faith, walking in the Spirit, and believing that within us there is a power, and it's divine power that will enable us to overcome the temptation and overcome the sin that doth so easily beset us. Why, how in the world, brothers and sisters, do you think that Paul could actually mean when he says, and let us lay aside the sin that doth so easily beset us, if it couldn't be done? He's spinning his wheels. It's an exercise in futility if it actually can't be done, if we can't lay off these sins that beset us, that surround us, that trip us up, that rob us of all those things we were talking about earlier. Peter said that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things that we'll ever need. And when are we going to start believing that? When are we going to start believing that? And stop listening to the lies of hell that says, forget about it. You're not going to overcome. You're not going to get any better. You're confined to a life of defeat. It's a lie. A bold-faced lie that calls God a liar. If you are a child of God, then you have the Holy Ghost, and that means that you have the spiritual power within you to resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You have the want to. The want to is there. If you're saved, you have the want to. You don't want to live in sin. You don't want to be defeated. But you have more than the want to. You have more than a will. You have the power by the Spirit to overcome the sin. Our situation, no matter how Fierce our struggle with sin may be is not at all hopeless and it's not at all impossible. I would remind you that even Paul's own struggle with sin in his life moved him to cry, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? But it ended by giving thanks to God for Jesus Christ who he knew would deliver him. You see, folks, we know it, but do we know these truths, but do we walk by faith in those same truths? 
To walk in the Spirit, moreover, means that we avoid that which would grieve the Holy Spirit. I mean, if we're walking according to, if we're walking after the Spirit of Christ, then we are going to strive to avoid the things that would, that would grieve Him. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2 that we are to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. We, we saw that a number of weeks ago in our studies in 1 Peter. Abstain from them. They war against your soul. They grieve the Holy Spirit, and that's the last one that we want to grieve. There are, there are multitudes of clear commands that are given to God's people and everything that God has commanded us to do, He'll provide for us. He has provided for us the power to do what He's commanded us to do by the Holy Spirit. We can't plead and say, it's too hard. What you have commanded me to do is impossible. Are you really going to lay that at God's doorstep? Are you really going to charge God with that folly that you have commanded me to do something that I can't do? Because the fact of the matter is we have the Holy Ghost within us and we can. This is not a let go and let God thing. Amen. This is abstain. This means stop it. Stop it. Stop it. If it, if it would help, I, I don't know that it would. Go, go out and just get a big red stop sign. Stick it up. Stop it. Stop it. That's pretty simple. Stop doing it. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not give in to the flesh. Since we need the Holy Spirit to keep from fulfilling the desire of the flesh, we certainly want to abstain from anything that would grieve him and that would, to take the words of the apostle again, quench his work within us. Key point here, this deliverance from the power of sin can be helped or it can be hindered by the believer. We're talking about the Holy Spirit, omnipotent, but in no way does that mean, if, if Paul says, grieve not the Spirit, that means we can grieve Him. If he says, quench not the Spirit, it means that we can quench the Spirit. We can hinder the Holy Ghost so we can help or we can be a hindrance. When, when I say help, I'm not implying that the Holy Spirit is powerless to transform us without our assistance. He isn't powerless. Similarly, when I say hinder, I'm not implying that we have the power to bring the Spirit's work within us to a standstill. We don't. For he which hath begun a good work in us shall continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You know, it just, it just depends on what kind of level you want to grow at. You know, you can be hampering and hindering the work of the Spirit, and you need not wonder why there's so little progress, why there's so slow growth in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. It's because there's been a hindering of Him. He's still working. You're still being changed. But it could go a lot better. It could go a whole lot faster. If you didn't hinder him, but you actually helped. What I am saying is that there is a clear role. There's a very clear role that God 
has called us to fulfill in this whole matter of warring against the sin within us. And to the degree that we do or don't heed that call from God is the degree that we help or hinder this Spirit's work. The Puritan John Owen said this, Although our sanctification and growth and holiness are the work of the Holy Spirit, yet they are also our own work and the duty to which we are called. There's one who believed in the absolute sovereignty of God believe that the Spirit is the one who sanctifies, yet it is also our own work and the duty to which we are called. If we hinder, if we hinder the work of the Spirit of Christ by not abstaining, by not stopping, by not avoiding those things which grieve Him, the impact it will have on our battle with sin will be disastrous. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, quench not the Spirit. There's the text. He's, he's referring, the word he used, quench, not the Spirit. He's likening the Holy Ghost to a fire. A fire that burns. The word quench means to extinguish, to put out. So the Holy Ghost is a fire. We know that's true in Scripture. That's often symbolized a fire. And a fire that burns away the dross of sin. And he says to Christians, quench not. Do not put out, do not extinguish the Holy Spirit. That would be anything that, 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 that stifles, that hampers, that extinguishes that work of the Holy Ghost within us to to change us and to to give us grace to overcome sin. I say the if we if if we go down that path the results will be disastrous. And you won't need to be asking yourself why? How come I keep caving in? You won't need to ask the question if you understand this. Because the promise is if ye walk in the spirit ye will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In the first place, we will lose all sense of the Spirit's presence. I underscore the word sense. You will lose all sense of the Spirit's presence. I mean, you you do realize there is to be a sense and awareness of His presence in your life. This is Christ by His Spirit indwelling us. And there is this reality of the Lord's presence in our lives, living in the presence of God, God living in us, but we'll lose that. You wonder why there is this aching void in your heart, an emptiness. You've lost something that you used to have. The Holy Spirit will be one who is hidden from you. You've quenched him. No fire that's burning to make your heart warm to the Lord. That's why your prayers are cold. That's why you read the Word of God and it doesn't speak to you. It's just a black words on white paper. No warm rays of comfort. No words of peace. No thoughts of love. I would remind you of David's prayer. In Psalm 51, it was a prayer of repentance. What was the great request of his heart? Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. It was as if David was saying, whatever else I have to lose, please don't take away this sense of the Spirit work in my life. Take away my children, my crown, my honor. I deserve to lose all of them for what I've done, but I plead with you, don't take the Holy Spirit from me. I should, 
I don't want to assume anything, lest you think that the Old Testament saints were saved in some kind of different way than New Testament saints, or that the Holy Spirit did not permanently indwell His people in the Old Testament. He did. That hasn't changed. David did not want to lose the sense of the Holy Spirit in his life. He did not want to lose that power and that fire in his life. Don't take that from me. Because he had lived in coldness and a distance from God for over a year. It's obvious that no loss is so grieving to the child of God as the loss of God's presence through his spirit. It's not a real, literal loss of the Spirit that we experience. His indwelling, as I said, is constant, and it is eternal. The gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. But what is lost are those, those, those sensible, gracious influences on our souls. The drawings out after the Lord, the... the, the, the the awareness of the power of God's truth. We hear the Lord speaking to us through the preached word. We sense the Lord growing, growing close to us at the throne of grace. But without that, all is dark and dead within. And those graces just wither. And the fruit of the Spirit, the love is not abounding, and the joy is not abounding, and the peace is not abounding, and the long-suffering, and the goodness, and the temperance, and the meekness, they are in abatement. And we shouldn't expect anything different. We've quenched him. We will lose our joy, because he is the source of everything that's real as far as joy is concerned. It's, it's the consciousness of the Lord's presence that makes our heart sad. You know, you can have a lot of nice things happen to you. You can, all kinds of temporal things that'll make you happy for a season. But I will tell you one thing. It is the, the reality of the presence of the Lord in your life that really gives you joy. And it won't matter when you have that. It doesn't matter what's happening all around you. It doesn't matter what you have or what you don't have. But without that, I mean, there, there's such emptiness. It's just such emptiness. You, you try to pray and there's no sense of the Lord's presence. You read the Bible and you just read it. You go to church and you just go to church and warm a seat and you go home and you go on about your week and do all your things. But there's an emptiness in it all. Without His gracious influences... You're going to be sad and you're going to be cast down. Who is it that can deal with all those things that come at us to make us joyless? Who, who can deal with all the doubts and the fears and the accusations that come from hell? And all the encouraging promises and and sermons, and, and comfort, and encouragement given to us, spoken to us, read by us, they won't mean a thing because it is the Spirit of God that brings life to those things. He's the Spirit of life. He makes them live. <laughs> he makes prayer live. He makes the Word of God alive to us. The sermon just doesn't become another sermon on Sunday. It's living. And he does that. I can't do it. I can't make your heart burn within you. I can't make it burn within myself. And is that what you want? 
Do you want to come to the house of God? Do you want to open up your Bible? Do you want to sit there and read? Or do you want to pray and not know anything of a heart that is actually burning because the holy fire of the Spirit of God is burning within you? Is that, is that what you want? It's not what I want for you. It's not what I want for myself. But if we don't walk in the Spirit... We're going to lose that. Because he is the spirit of truth. All the knowledge that we have of God and our Bibles will not do us any real good. You may have a head full of knowledge but it will have no influence. It will have no impact upon your life. It'll just be facts. It'll be like, like any other knowledge that you have. It's just facts. Oh, it's truth. It's divine truth. But there are going to be a lot of theologians in hell. It's not going to have any impact if it's not attended by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The sermons you hear will be dead to you. You may listen with interest. There may be curiosity. But they're not going to have any lasting impact upon your life no matter how well you know the truths that are being preached. You may have a clear knowledge of divine things by reading and hearing and reasoning, but it will not be a knowledge that is going to transform your life. That only comes about by the Holy Spirit. Knowledge by itself simply puffs up, Paul said. But not when the Holy Spirit... Does it work? The knowledge of God and His Word humbles you. Without the Holy Ghost, we will read God's Word and it will be dry and stale. And for one thing for sure is we won't see Christ. And that's the great work of the Holy Ghost to take the things of Christ in His Word. It is Christocentric. And to make us to see Christ, we will see the Lord Jesus. I said this morning I had never thought about the, the Good Samaritan as a picture of Christ taking that old wounded man given for dead on the side of the road. Put that to my account. Spurgeon saw it though. It's like he saw Christ on every page of Scripture. The more we walk in the Spirit, the more we'll see of Christ. the more we'll want to see it. But without it, because we have quenched his work, we've, we've dampened, we've hampered it, we may want to know the will of God about something, but not find it, because we're not going to hear the voice of the Spirit, as the, as the prophet said, behind us saying, here's the way, walk ye in it. We're not going to hear it. It's an awful thing to be, to be put in a situation and, and you are not knowing what in the world do I do, but because you've not walked in the Spirit, you've been walking, you know, fulfilling, not abstaining from these fleshly lusts, and there's no leading, there's no direction from the Word of God, the Spirit of God speaking to you. That's frightening. We're not going to be helped by any messages from the Word of God because it's the Spirit of God that brings those sermons to life. Your prayers will also be powerless. 
He's called the Spirit of grace and supplication, the Spirit of Christ. And without His aid, our prayers are going to be dead. We'll go through the motions and we might say all the right words. We'll go through our prayer list. But when it's all said and done, we haven't touched the throne of God. What will happen when we don't know what to pray for as we ought? When we don't know how to pray because we've grieved the Spirit. Your assurance will disappear. It is the Spirit that bears witness. We read that this evening. It's the Spirit that bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Holy Ghost does that. I can try to talk to myself all day long until I reassure myself, I'm saved. I'm one of God's elect. But you can never talk yourself into assurance. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. But you see, therefore, what happens when we don't walk in the Spirit, brothers and sisters, you see what happens to us. We, we've lost that, that influence, those, those godly rays of light that shine into our hearts and assure our hearts before Him that we belong to the Lord. But when His witness is silenced because He is grieved and His work in you is quenched, you'll be filled with all kinds of doubts and suspicions. What evidence do I have that I am truly what I profess to be? What evidence do I have that I am truly what I profess to be? God sets a seal on every genuine believer. What's the seal? It is the possession of the Holy Spirit. Look at Romans 8, verse 14. For as many as are led... By the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So surely you and I can see in this battle with sin, and we grieve the Spirit of God, we are going to lose that inward witness of the Spirit. And we're going to doubt because there's no confidence, there's no assurance in sin. Your evidence of being God's child is the presence of the Holy Spirit and the work He does in your own life. What happens, therefore, when we quench Him? That witness is lost. It's silent. Finally, our own usefulness will cease. If we don't walk in the Spirit, if by faith, if we don't walk in the Spirit... I'm just letting before you the consequences of this. Our usefulness to God will cease. You may try to minister to other people in some way, but it will yield no fruit. The work that you attempt to do for the Lord will be barren because it will be done in the energy of the flesh. It's one of two options. It's either the energy of the Spirit that works or it's the energy of the flesh. But when you've quenched his work, it's all going to be done in the strength of the flesh. You may try to witness to others and labor to bring them under the sound of the Lord, but there's no power in it. How many believers are robbed of the power over the flesh because they grieve the Spirit of Christ?
To walk in the Spirit, thirdly, means that we are guided and governed by the Spirit. Guided and governed by the Spirit. It's a walk, Paul says, according to the Spirit of Christ, not according to, not guided, not governed, not controlled by the flesh. Christ has given to you and to me, through His Spirit, the very means of living in victory over sin. That's the reality. That's the fact that we've got to believe. And we are, as we are controlled by, as we are full of the Holy Ghost, as we are guided by the Spirit, we are not going to be controlled and guided and full of the flesh. They don't happen simultaneously. You're not going to be full of the Spirit and full of the flesh. You're not going to be full of joy and full of misery at the same time. You're not going to be full of love for God and full of hate at the same time. Hate for the devil, yes, but we're talking about spiritual. Am I full of myself? Am I full of my flesh? Or am I full of the Spirit? Am I under the control of the Holy Ghost? Am I being controlled like a man under the influence of alcohol? Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Be under the control of the Holy Ghost. That's a command. I, I know. I know what's going on when I've lost my temper. When I've had the wrong response to something that someone has said to me or done to me. I know. That's the flesh. I'm walking. I'm responding according to the flesh. And one thing I know right there, I am not full of the Spirit. I'm not being guided. I'm not being controlled by the Holy Ghost. Because if I was, I wouldn't be acting like that. Amen. That's the wonderful thing about it. You see the positive side? I wouldn't be acting like that. What's the Holy Ghost do? The Spirit of Christ will cause our hearts to be full of grace. Because I don't have the power to beat this thing. I can't kill my sin. But I sure have a responsibility to walk by faith under the control of the Holy Ghost. And as that grace comes into our lives, as that grace grows, because there's always the need to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that grace and those fruits will strengthen the new man and that will raise a stronger opposition to the flesh. And guess what happens? We change. You remember that? I don't know if you sang as a teenager. We did. It's sort of a little simple ditty, but it says a great spiritual truth. The things I used to do, don't do them anymore. The things I used to do, don't do them anymore. The things I used to do, don't do them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. That's the change that takes place at the new birth. But the reality is, throughout the Christian life, there's this change that's going on. And you have to be able, I know you have to be able to tell me tonight, I am not the one I used to be. I'm not what I want to be. I am, I, I'm not living like I should. Like I know the Word of God commands me. Preachers, one thing about it, I'm not the one I used to be. So as we live and walk in Christ's Spirit, the Holy Ghost causes those things to grow in us that are destructive to the flesh, that, that mortify sin.
So as we walk in the Spirit of Christ, three things will happen. There will be an habitual weakening of sin in your life, an habitual weakening of sin. We will grow in our desire and ability to deny ourself self-denial. We will grow in our ability and our desire to deny our sinful flesh the things that it feeds upon. More and more we take to heart, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. We'll take to heart what Paul told Timothy, flee youthful lust. We will more and more run away from them instead of running to them. Instead of even tinkering with the idea, maybe I can, and I can get away with this. Again, the Puritan Owen said, sin will no otherwise die but by being gradually and constantly weakened. Spare it, and it heals its wounds and recovers strength. Spare it, and it heals its wounds that you've given it, and it recovers strength. Not only will there be an habitual weakening of sin, but there's going to be an ongoing war with that sin. You're not going to give up and throw in the towel. You're not going to say, I can't. The Holy Ghost will, as you walk in the Spirit, I'm going to fight you. I am going to fight you. By the grace of the Spirit of God, I am going to fight you. I'm at war with sin. This is not a game. I'm in earnest. And the earnestness grows for the war. There will be victory, thirdly and finally, over sin. No, there won't be complete elimination of all sin in this life, but we can mortify sin to such a degree, and we can weaken sin and war against sin that we actually win the victory over them. We stop doing the sin that we put to death by walking in the Spirit. Isn't that your story? Aren't there things that you've just put to death that you're not, you just don't do them anymore? Why did that happen? I'll tell you why it happened. It wasn't because of your resolutions. It's because the Holy Ghost was warring against your flesh. When you were so weak, he was warring against your flesh, warring against that sin. It's the Spirit of Christ. And therefore, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, what do you do? Lord, fill me with the Holy Ghost. Fill me. Daily. Pray. Fill me. Control me. May the Lord write that word on our hearts for his namesake. Could we bow our heads in prayer and seek him together? Let's all pray. Our God and Father, we do thank thee that the Holy Ghost does dwell within and he is warring against that sin within us. We want, Lord, not to hinder him, but we want to be a help. Thou who art the God of revival, we pray, O Holy Spirit, that Thou wilt revive us, revive our desire for likeness to Christ where it languishes, renew, we pray, where there may be any coldness toward prayer and the Word of God, where any of Thy children have found themselves in a place where they feel so defeated that it's, they think it's impossible to ever change. Oh, Spirit of truth, come in and expose the lie of the flesh and the devil 
and grant the grace to believe, thus saith the Lord. Strengthen us, our God, we pray. We thank Thee that we are overcomers, and we shall still overcome. We look for the day when we will sin no more. Until that day comes, our God, we pray that we'll be valiant for the truth, valiant to walk in the Spirit, that we not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.